Philippians chapter 3, a couple of verses we'll read today for our beginning message of a new year. And as you're turning there, I'm going to ask you a question. The question is this, maybe a couple of questions to start to kind of set the mood here and to kind of direct us where we're going to be for the next 30 minutes or so. The question is this, are you one of the many people today who look back upon the prior year with regret or some sort of unhappiness? And then do you plan then to make a change in the upcoming year from this day forward for the next 364 to be a happier person? Because it seems in recent years that the percentage of unhappiness or unsatisfied people is growing. In June of 2020, NBC News reported that Americans were the unhappiest they had ever been in 50 years. Now, that doesn't really be surprising so much because that was in the midst of the COVID years and people were frustrated, still trying to figure out all the complexity of a pandemic. So that's really not surprising that people were highly frustrated and, and very unhappy as all this began to develop with the COVID coronavirus and a pandemic that set in for several years. But even with the pandemic now at a controllable level, unhappiness still remains for many people. A Gallup poll has been asking Americans how they were feeling about different aspects of life. There's 29 different metrics in which they measure this. And here's what they found over the last two decades. This is in 2020, before the pandemic began, an average of 48%, nearly half, 48% of Americans said they were satisfied. There was a big drop in 2021 when 41% indicated they were happy with what was going on on those 29 different metrics as it's measured. And then this year, the year 2022, just 38% of Americans say they were satisfied. Is there any sense of optimism that was apparent after vaccines were developed for the coronavirus had abated? And a lot of Americans are not pleased with what is going on in their daily lives, the state of the nation, and the state of our politics. Now, this is not going to be a political message, but you can see how many people then, now only 38% are pleased, are happy with their lives and everything else that's going on in the country. So not surprising then, many people invite and welcome and look forward to the beginning of a new year, a new beginning a fresh start, and rarely then try to make some sort of change that would make them then be happier for the beginning of a new year. But what can really make a happy person? Or what can make a person happy? I like to sometimes peruse through Facebook. I don't make many posts, but sometimes I always kind of catch up what's going on. And here's what I found last week about one particular lady who said this is what it would take to make her a happier person in 2023. A new car, a new job, a new house. Listen to this next one. You see it there? A new lover. Which I'm thinking spouse, right? I'm content with my spouse. Sheila's not in here right now, but you can tell her all that, okay? I'm like Brian. I've been married for 37 years. I'm pretty content with that. 36 years. So I'm not looking for a new spouse, new mate, new boyfriend, new girlfriend, but many people are. And they think it's going to make them happy. But look at the last one, answered prayers. Now, interestingly, as you look at this list, I'm looking at it, processing things in my mind, and I get to the last one then. The, the, the former ones are kind of disturbing, particularly number four, 
But I think, why is answered prayers last on the list? Are the other things like the car, the job, the house to make more important? And my answer is no. But to many people, they are. And it demonstrates then perhaps the extent of the unhappiness that exists in this country or in people's lives. So then I begin to process, begin to think, well, what then should be happiness be gauged upon? Or, or what should bring then happiness in 2023? Discounting these things, because it's not going to be found in a car, a house, and so forth. But what can bring happiness? If we're trying to be happier people upon this particular year, what things can maybe help us be happier in this year? To at least go from 38% of the people to some higher number, at least 50%. And notice as we looked at the metrics, according to the Gallup poll, it's never been 50% in the last couple of decades or recent years. So what can make a person happier? That's what we look for today as we turn to Philippians chapter 3. Again, there's only two verses in length, verse 13 and 14. But we look at the words of Paul as he's writing this letter now to the church of Philippi. You know, Paul had a very special relationship with the believers in Philippi. I mean, he loved them, and they loved, he, they loved him back. They, they provided special things for him while he was in prison. And he gave them advice, which we read about this morning. Again, stand with me this morning. It's only two verses in length. But it's chapter 3 of the letter Philippians, the church at Philippi receiving Paul's wisdom and words. In chapter 3, verse 13, it says this. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Father, we do come before you today, Lord, at this moment, this hour, this new year, and pray, Lord, that you begin to speak through us directly. If we find somehow, some way, that we're not living the happy life, that maybe as we dissect and consider these words of Paul, it will direct us into how we might make an attitude change or behavior change or something to do in our life, Lord, to help us be happier as we live this particular year, as we live our lives. And I pray, Lord, the things we'll find today would not be just one time and done, but something we would continue to do to let us just be happy people from here forward. So thank you, Lord, for what we shall learn here today, what we shall apply. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, the verses are short, concise, it's not an extended reading by any means, but full of information to help us then be able to change something about ourselves upon this day and moving forward in this particular year. Because we look at the text again and find out, I mean, we ask ourselves, is there any better recipe for happiness than what's found here among these particular verses? And there's really three steps. If you look at the verses in verse 13 and 14, I suggest to you there's three steps in which Paul is telling us that we can be happier people. Number one, simply this. Forget about what lies behind. And then secondly, strain forward to focus upon the future, the new year. And then thirdly, just realizing that someday, this just should make us just incredibly happy and joyful. 
that someday we'll receive the ultimate prize, the upward call of Christ in heaven to be with Him. I mean, if you're truly a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, then forgetting the past and pressing on to the future, the prize of heaven, is something that should bring you a tremendous amount of joy and happiness. No matter what the occasion, when you truly think about it, the upper call of Christ and Lord Jesus, when we receive that, when we get to heaven, and knowing that is our final destination, our resting place, it should bring us joy and happiness. And perhaps you're saying, okay, I realize that. I mean, I understand that as a Christian, as a believer, when I get to heaven, I mean, it's going to be tremendous joy and happiness, and that's a prize I can look forward to. And it can even give me joy with everything happening on the face of the earth. But listen, preacher, I'm in no hurry to get there. And I understand that. I mean, it's like the old David Crowder song from many years ago when he sang, everybody wants to get to heaven, but nobody wants to die. I mean, I understand how that can bring us joy. And I understand how we're in no hurry to get there. But heaven is a prize that can bring us happiness. And you're saying, well, yeah, but also other things can as well. Like, I don't know if you noticed or not, but many people look upon things of the world to bring them happiness. We've talked about financial regard about money before. Did you notice that the mega millions is also really high again? You know what it's up to? You know if anybody won last night? Let me tell you. $650 million. $650 million is what the mega millions is at. You know what your odds of winning are? One in 302 million. Nobody won last night. So now it's 785 million. And the odds is probably going to be even a little bit worse. But many people look upon that and think, well, okay, I'm going to play the Mega Millions because when I win that, I'm going to have instant form of happiness. Okay, you can talk about heaven being happiness, but I can get this $785 million and I can be tremendously happy. That's the worldly view, isn't it? But they don't understand that when you have that much money, I've not been there. But when you have that much money, it just seems to invite a lot of pain and misery. And we don't want that because that's no happiness at all. But getting back to what Paul is writing here, Paul, when you look at Paul's life, I mean, he is not remotely interested in worldly treasures. He has no concern about winning the lottery if there even was such a thing back then. I mean, his only concern to bring him joy and happiness in his life is obtaining the prize of the upper call. But then again, maybe Paul's just a rare breed. Preparing a message last week, I read a story I want to share with you. It's about a mountain climber that fell while hiking on the edge of a mountain. As he fell on his way down, he reached out and grabbed hold of a tree limb that was growing outside the cliff. All right, so he's hanging there. You picturing it? He was climbing. He fell. As he fell, he grabbed a hold of a tree limb that was hanging outside the cliff. And while hanging there, he looked down, and suddenly he knew if he fell, it would be to his death. So he looked up, and he said, Is anybody up there? Well, God answered him and said in a booming voice, like you kind of picture God's voice to be, I am here. I am the Lord. 
do you believe in me? Well, he's hanging there, right? So he answered and said, oh, yes, Lord, I believe you. I really believe in you. However, I don't know how long I can hang on here. But then God said to him, that's all right, son. Don't worry. I will save you. Just let go. Well, then after a long pause, the man looked back up in heaven and said, is anybody else up there? <laughs> but that little story then, and maybe this is the viewpoint of many people. I mean, it's like they believe in God. They believe in Jesus as the Son of God. And they know that Jesus came to die and take their sin and maybe even accept him as Lord. But they also enjoy, to some extent, what the world has to offer especially when they begin to get unhappy or they get depressed and lonely and sad and miserable. So that's somehow where we find ourselves on the beginning of the new year on this particular day. Miserable, depressed, sad, unhappy. Then we need to heed the message from Paul as we go back to the text and look again at what he's writing here. And we're going to dissect it and look at three things that will help us Maybe be happier people as we get into 2023. Three things we find is this. Commit yourself to forget, number one, your past. Any failures you had, let it go. And then secondly, commit yourself to giving up your grudges. They're not helping you. And then thirdly, commit yourself to restore your relationships. Three things you can find, particularly from verse 13, that we can help us make ourselves happier people as we go into 2023. We're going to expand briefly upon each of them. The first one, again, is commit yourself to forget your past or your failures. Here's the thing. This is not rocket science. It's not brain surgery. It's not overly complicated. Whatever has happened has happened. Can you change anything from the prior year? Anything from last year, can you really change it? Or anything from years past, can you change anything about it? I mean, it's history, and you really can't change it. So when the truth really is this, then we don't have to live our lives imprisoned by our past. All of us have failed in some way in our lives over the past year or the year prior. It's just something, we, it's just something that happens. Now, fortunately for us, as we recognize that we've had some past failures upon this year or sometime in our life, we fortunately don't have all of them recorded for the world to see on TV. And that's a great thing to recognize. Because many people, celebrities, athletes, have had many things to happen to them and is recorded for people to see and remember over and over again. Fortunately, we don't have that which recorded over and over again on TV to remind all of us. But you remember last year, there was very embarrassing moments for several different people in which it was recorded for them to see how they had a failure. For example, in March, when Will Smith slapped, absolutely slugged Chris Rock for comments made regarding his wife, Jada. Did you see everything that happened before they pay me for that? Will Smith just walked up there and slapped the daylights out of Chris Rock. It recorded for everybody to see that. Fortunately, if you slug somebody, Roger, if you slug Candy, no one's going to notice. I mean, you guys are going to know it. Yeah, and he'll make Roger pay. But the rest of us may never find out about it. I mean, Brian and Angie happy for ever 36 years. But if Brian does something silly, makes some sort of failure, 
Angie's going to know about it. The rest of us ain't going to know because they ain't going to report it on TV live. But there's been other things, like the lengthy defamation trial between who? Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. I didn't care. I still don't care. But everything was voiced and expressed for the world to see. All their failures in that relationship, wow, that was something special. And there's been many athletes in over the years that have lost sponsorships or endorsements because of bad decisions and choices. The first one to come to my mind was Tiger Woods. And there was also Lance Armstrong and Michael Phelps. And there's many, many more. But then we don't have to worry about our mistakes, our failures, our bad decisions being recorded live for somebody to see. But then we do know about them. Because they're recorded in our hearts and in our minds. And for many of us, then, our failures are painful memories. And maybe for us, then, it's memories of how we failed in a relationship. And maybe how we made the wrong decision and said the wrong things at the wrong time and maybe the relationship ended. Or maybe for people who have children or parents in the room, like myself and for others, we know that somehow this past year we may have failed our children. And they recognize this too, parents, that while the children don't want to admit it, they may also recognize in some way they failed you this past year. And it's somehow it's likely we have failed ourselves. And then we certainly know that we have always, and many times upon this past year, altogether and individually have failed God. And what God's word is saying here, particularly verse 13, as we must not allow ourselves to get bogged down by our past failures or bad decisions and choices we've made. I mean, verse 13 says, we kind of focused upon this part of it, dissecting it for application. One thing I do, Paul says to the church, we apply for our lives, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I mean, if you are to grow, you must be willing to let go of the former but the things that happened before, to grasp a hold of the present and the future. And the start of a new year is certainly a good time to rise to that challenge. To say to yourself, I- I'm going to be, with God's help now, forget all about my past, those bad decisions, those failures. I'm going to stop torturing myself for what I did or I didn't do. I'm going to, with the help of God, break the chains from last year or from years prior. Now here's the thing you need to focus upon and remember. Satan is telling you otherwise. He's the one reminding you all the time, if you think you're a failure, it's because of Satan telling you that over and over and over again. The enemy returning you again and again and again to your mistakes, your bad decisions, choices that you wish you wouldn't have made. He's doing his very best to convince you that you are a failure. But you're not. God is saying here in his word, he doesn't want you to go through any portion of the rest of your life thinking of yourself as a failure. Listen, you are good enough, all of us are good enough for Christ to die for. He loved you that much that chose his life for your life. And the new year is a good time to stop being chained to all those past decisions and past failures 
that the devil keeps reminding you about. Jesus Christ died on the cruel cross of Calvary so that we could be forgiven. When we become Christians, that forgiveness becomes a reality in our lives. We receive Christ's forgiveness and allows us to forgive others and forget also our own failures. From today forward, upon this year, but not just pertaining to only this year, forget about the past. Be prepared to move on. You're not a failure, and God loves you. Commit to him. He is certainly committed to you. And then secondly, after we go back to the verses of Luke, what Paul is telling us for application, commit yourself to giving up your grudges. Now, maybe it's a stretch because that's not the word necessarily in verse 13. In one verse 13, he's telling us again, we're focused upon is forget about what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. And Paul wrote to the church of Colossae in Colossians 3.13. He said, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances, some translations say quarrels, you may have had against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. There's a challenge right there for all of us. God in these words is challenging us directly and personally to give up any quarrels, any grievances, and certainly to give up any grudges we have in our lives. This is what it means when he says to forgive each other your grievances, your quarrels, that you have against one another. I mean, by definition, a grudge is a deep, ongoing resentment that we cultivate in our hearts against someone else. A grudge is also an unforgiving spirit that leads us to an unforgiving attitude and unforgiving actions. And many people actually harbor a grudge for many years. And harboring a grudge is actually like having a great dislike for someone. Now, I can't tell you, I was thinking about an example, an illustration in my life where I've been harboring a grudge. I really couldn't think of one. I mean, that may be good or bad, I don't know, but one thing I began to think about is the fact that, I mean, I love to watch football and love sports and love racing. And I got thinking about the fact that, you know, I just don't like Tom Brady. I mean, it's not a grudge. I mean, I don't know him personally, but and the man is just too good. I mean, he, he's won all these Super Bowls, and I began to really hate the Patriots and have a dislike for them. And now he's with the Buccaneers, and I, could, I really don't care about them no more either. I just don't really like or maybe I have a dislike. It's not a grudge, but it's close to Tom Brady. So I just need to let it go, right? And again, thinking about other grudges that may exist, I thought about Kayla. I don't dislike Kayla. I don't have a grudge towards Kayla. But I began to think about Kayla because we go to a lot of races together. Let me tell y'all, there's some race car drivers she doesn't like. And I think she actually has a grudge against some of these guys. Her favorite race car driver is Robert Ballou. If anybody touches his car, gets close to him on the racetrack, she instantly hates them, has a grudge against them. So maybe if nothing else, the message is for Kayla, let it go. Forget about it. I mean, we need to know, though, in general about grudges that, I mean, they're dangerous because they're destructive. When you really harbor a grudge against someone, I mean, it destroys marriages. It breaks up families. It ruins friendships. It even splits churches. Grudges are never productive. 
They are always destructive. In fact, through this subpoint, if you're holding the grudge against someone that God is saying to you now, just let it go. Just give it up. They're never productive. They're always destructive. And notice, they're even self-destructive. Which means when you hold a grudge against someone, you will hurt yourself as much or maybe even more than the person you're holding the grudge against. As preparing for this morning last week, I ran across an, an old message that recorded a tragic example of just how destructive grudges can be. It was an article that said this. It said a man was killed by a parcel bomb. Then a couple committed them a suicide a week later. And they were related. And knowingly at the beginning, they didn't know they were related, but they later found out that it was a related issue. Because it turned out that the couple who committed suicide has sent the bomb, the parcel bomb, to the man because of the grudge they had against him. And that's awful to take that kind of action to, to want to kill a man because of the grudge. That's how destructive they are. But here's the thing they also found out about how they were linked together, connected. The grudge they had against this particular man went back to grade school. That's amazing. But isn't that way grudges go in life at times? I mean, it seems like they start early and they fester until it just it explodes. So we should make no mistake about it. If you're harboring a grudge, then it can eventually destroy you or someone you love. If not physically, certainly emotionally and spiritually. It will actually make you a twisted and bitter person. In the book of Job, in chapter 21, verse 25, it says, Others have no happiness at all. They live and die with bitter hearts. And that certainly describes someone for grudge. So you think about if you're harboring a grudge or a dislike towards someone, think about this. Is that the way you really want to be remembered? To having that grudge against someone? Or do you want that legacy to be left behind? Because if you know this, when you have a great dislike, a great grudge against someone, it can be passed on to the next generation. The Hatfields and McCoys was one example of how one particular dislike or grudge went from one generation to the other to another. I mean, it started like when the Civil War and people sometimes say it was over land disputes or whatever between people who live in Kentucky and West Virginia on the border. So we just need to recognize we need to commit ourselves to whatever it is that we have a dislike or grudge against or grievances or quarrels and just love your neighbor. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 37. Of course, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind. But notice how they said the second and the great command is like it. Verse 39, love your neighbor better, really, than you love yourself. With whom are you holding the grudge? A dislike. Commit to yourselves this year, just let it go. It's time to settle it. And then thirdly, commit yourself to restore relationships. Again, the subpoint stems from verse 13, especially the parts that's straining forward to what lies ahead to restore your relationships. In my office at the house, I have an older computer. I bought a new computer last year, a laptop that I use primarily now, but the old computer I sometimes will turn on 
because it has old sermons and things on there sometimes are still referred to. But when I turn the computer on, it, it goes to a pop-up window that would ask me every time I turn it on to see if all the programs are running right, and we'll go and do a virus scan check. It, it, it scans for all the viruses on the computer. And my new computer is something similar, but it doesn't do all that particular stuff. But I think about that, and I thought, well, you know, God in his, is similar here in which he is giving us an invitation. I mean, that, it's like God's giving a pop-up window, but yes, he is in the sense that, I mean, not an invitation to check your computer, obviously, but an invitation, a pop-up window he's given you to check your personal relationships to see if they're working properly. And Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And notice that verse is a challenge for everyone, especially the phrase, as it depends on you. A particular phrase suggests or even hints at the fact that a personal challenge issued to all of us for which we should do anything possible to restore relationships. Because the Lord wants us to do everything we can to restore any relationship in our lives that's gone wrong. He doesn't want you to continue to be sour against somebody. He wants you to restore the relationship. Make it right. I mean, how exactly do relationships even go bad or go sour? I mean, how do relationships go wrong in life? I mean, when you think about it, there are actually many reasons in which a relationship can go bad. But some relationships may have gone wrong in our lives because of what we have said or what other people have said or done. And quite possibly, they might not even want to restore it any longer. That's why Romans chapter 12, verse 18 recognizes that if possible, if possible, restore. I mean, if possible, go to the person, restore the relationship. Because they may not, you, we may have offended that person so badly, or we may be offended by something they said or did that they don't want to restore it anymore. So, if it's possible, go and restore. But we need to recognize that sometimes we're the guilty person in a relationship that have said or done something wrong. That's where the part says we need to live peaceably with all comes into play. Like we need to do anything possible within our life to make the relationship right again. And it's things that's hard for us to do, like asking for forgiveness. And, and that's not the hardest. The hardest thing may be sometimes to say, I'm sorry. And, and if it's hard to ask for forgiveness, or it's hard to say, I'm sorry, then maybe the hardest thing of all to do, particularly men, is say, I was wrong. We do not like to admit that we're wrong about anything. I don't, just ask Sheila. But we need to admit the fact that we're wrong, and we say we're sorry and seek forgiveness. I mean, I wonder how many relationships could be put back together if we just incorporated those words in our life. I was wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Maybe God is saying to you this morning, at this particular moment, it's time to restore a relationship that has somehow somebody been ruined by going and sincerely saying that you're sorry. Not just saying the words, but really meaning it. For those angry words and selfish actions that just disappear. 
Again, it's hard words to express. It's hard words to say. But if you want to truly begin to live a happier life, shouldn't you want to restore relationships? Shouldn't you want to get rid of grudges? Shouldn't you want to forget about your failures? I don't know what it's going to be necessarily for you to make yourself a happier person. If somehow you're dissatisfied with life, somehow if, if you're just depressed and lonely and, and, and beginning to wear on you and, and you find yourself among this 38% of the country that is unhappy, or, or that is happy, the 62% that's unhappy, if you find yourself in the majority that's unhappy, do something about it. If it's pertaining to politics, I can't help you. If pertaining to the things of the nation, I can't help you. But God can help you with anything that's bothering you, that's frustrating you, that is depressing you, that is giving you a burden to keep you from being happy. God can help you. God can help you become happier in 2023. Just commit yourself to him. He certainly has committed himself to you. So in 2023, we outlined three things as possible, perhaps, for us to be happier people. And maybe it's a message for all the world to really hear, particularly our country, to maybe make a change with committing yourself to forget about your past and your failures and committing yourself to give up their grudges and relationships to restore them. Because this is a year in which you should become the happiest person alive. You should become so happy. Someone's going to look at you and think, dude, I can't stand to be around you because you're too happy all the time. Be that happy. You know, in Duck Dynasty, they just say what? Happy, happy, happy. That's the new words I'm going to say to you. Happy, happy, happy. Father, Lord, we thank you for this message and how it just kind of reminds us that maybe we're living the life that we don't want to live. Well, I don't think anybody truly desires to live with unhappiness or to be depressed and lonely and sad. So Lord, today as we recognize the beginning of a new year, maybe we can see, well, let's just make this a little bit of change. It's not a, it's not a complicated change to make. It's just a matter of making a few commitments to make on ourselves a more productive, more happy person than maybe we were in the prior year. So I pray for all of us, Lord, corporately together to commit ourselves to you first and foremost. Because I recognize, Lord, where you are the person. You are the giver of goodness. So let us first commit ourselves to you, Lord. And I pray then, as we commit ourselves to you, you allow us to go through this year blessed, happy, and just rub off on people the right way. Thank you for this message today as it helped us maybe make a change on this new year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.